0: Let's pray together. Emmanuel, the great I am, is with us. We don't deserve it, Lord. But just as your prophet said you would, you've come. And we thank you. And this morning I pray that your Holy Spirit will do in your church what needs to happen because what this world and this country needs is for your church to be like you. May it happen through the power, the fire, the wind of your spirit. We love you, Lord. Amen. Turn to Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine, easy to find. Find the Psalms in the middle. Turn to the right, two or three, four books, and you're uh, at the beginning, the first of the major prophets. Um, And uh, we heard this in that powerful uh, opening video this morning. Uh, Incredible, Isaiah chapter 9. And here, of course, is one of the great messianic prophecies from the great prophet Isaiah. Verse 2, chapter 9. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name, remember the baby's name. Boy, the rabbis still stew over this, don't they, Rabbi Jack? The baby's name will be (laughs) wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. The baby's the father, yes. The baby's the father, Prince of Peace, there will be no end to the increase of his government or a peace. On the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Advent, the coming of the Most High, is here. God has come to live among us. The awesome creator of the universe has been born as a vulnerable baby to a poor Judean peasant couple. It's simply the most absurd story in all of history, and yet it's absolutely true. So think about this, the one wrapped in swaddling clothes whose nursery is a dirty stable is also the eternal one, the supreme majesty, El Shaddai, almighty God. The son of God hasn't been born, hasn't been human until now. He's been begotten from eternity by the father, but he has not been born, not a human until now. But listen, he has always been king. From eternity past, this little one, whose omnipotence is shrouded in a lowly baby's body now, is also the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the first cause. He's the one who spoke the universe into existence with a word. He is unlimited power. He is unlimited knowledge. He is unlimited existence. He is, the baby is, the great I am. And yet, hidden in a tiny, frail, newborn's body. As the great Carol says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see? Hail the incarnate, enfleshed deity. King of the universe, there he is. It's Christmas time, and even in our secular culture, we have this brief reprieve of a, a season, right? It becomes filled with music and Christmas carols playing everywhere. And and one of the most beloved that you'll hear all over the place, right? Joy to the world. And so think about it. Bustling crowds, some of whom know nothing of Jesus, are mindlessly humming along these words, Joy to the world, the Lord, Yahweh, has come. Let earth receive the whole world's king. Puts a perspective on elections, doesn't it? The whole planet, the whole universe is this little baby's. These words from the ubiquitous mall music are also the theme of this year's advent for us. Let earth receive her king. And we're not just gonna mindlessly sing along with this familiar carol. We're actually going to unpack what it means for Jesus to actually, really, truly be king. You see, a king rules. We sang that this morning. A king is sovereign. We sang that this morning. A king is obeyed. Did you sing that or did you stop and pause and be honest with yourself? A king will be obeyed. So let's go back 2,000 years. Unfortunately... Israel had completely missed it. Israel thought that a big shot was coming so they could rule with him. So they had a great plan for Messiah. Messiah was going to come blow away all of their enemies so they could sit right next to him on thrones. In fact, There were two disciples who were still so confused about that after walking with the Messiah for three years that they were still asking who was going to be the greatest. That's how confused Israel was at who was coming. But you know what's great? Not everyone in Israel had forgotten the word of God. There was a humble teenager in the Judean hills named Mary. Somehow she was able to see through all of the false teaching of the rabbis. She wasn't looking for a king who would crush the rest of the world so she could be in charge. No, she was looking for a king whom she would adore and worship and follow and obey. Let me ask you, what kind of Jesus do you want? I've been watching this week, commercial after commercial. You want abundance? Come to Jesus. Want to be rich? Come to Jesus. The prophet said, you wanna adore and bow down and fall on your face and worship? Then we have a Messiah for you. All the other Messiahs are false Messiahs. So let's look, turn with me to Luke, the third of the gospel, uh, Gospels, um, let's work, look at these uh, words. When, when Mary finds this, um, what, uh, what we think of as we read through it, as you'll see in a minute, <laughs> uh, not so to Mary, Uh, at least not so much to Mary, but we see these, these beautiful, spectacular, fabulous words from the high archangel, right? Look at verse 31, chapter 1 of Luke, and the Lord, excuse me, and behold, you will conceive the high angel speaking to Mary, this little girl, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and... He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the holy offspring will be called the Son of God. So a whole bunch has been of made of this announcement. There are actually theologians that have spent their entire career from certain uh, uh, theological perspectives waxing eloquent about how blessed Mary must have been by, uh, about this. But, but in the midst of this beloved Christmas story, it's easy to miss the enormity of the implications of these words to this little Jewish teenager. See, she would have been thinking maybe a lot of things, She couldn't possibly have understood all of the implications. You're going to have God, Mary. Couldn't have possibly. But you know, there was one thing, one thing that Mary instantaneously understood. It's your first blank. Write it in. Here's what Mary knew for sure. She was in big trouble. Very quickly, it was going to be obvious that she was pregnant. And her explanation for the pregnancy was impossible, Everybody got that? In fact, Gabriel's announcement was a disaster. In that culture, she would be stoned to death, potentially, for being pregnant out of wedlock. Now, in our society, nobody can even think that way because, uh, because uh, you know, uh, pregnancy outside of uh, uh, being married it happens all the time. So it's almost, it's almost impossible to understand what a catastrophe this announcement was to Mary. And yet, look at her immediate remarkable response. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Mary was looking for a king, not ease. She was looking for someone who would say hard things and she would say, be it done to me according to your word. Now, think about this. When we go through this Christmas story, we can blow right past this. Mary, For Mary, the best case scenario was she would merely be scorned and marginalized and shamed. That was her best life that she could conceive of from this point. The worst case, executed in the streets. Happened all the time. So Mary's response of immediate and complete obedience was absolutely remarkable, and it revealed her trust in God's goodness and his wisdom, absolute trust. Uh, No matter what happened to her, no matter what others thought of her, no matter how unfair life was, she simply obeyed. She could sing truly, let earth receive her king. So we go to application really quickly this morning. Look with me here. Here's your first blanks. The king's purposes will be established. Hey, everybody, if you're in here and you follow the Lord, don't follow the Lord. First time you've ever heard all your life, whether you pretend to be a Christian but really aren't, whether you know him, it doesn't matter who you are. The, the leaders of the world, it doesn't matter who they are, let me tell you, the king's purposes will be established. This little baby has spoken the end from the beginning. That's who he is. Ready? The king's purposes will be established, but it's our choice whether this will be through surrender or suffering. And in this application, I'm going to utilize a classic Hebrew way where, the, where the, the authors of the Old Testament would use what, what uh, people have called theological contrast, right? Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, right? You get these dramatic contrasts so you can see how horrendous Nebuchadnezzar is because you can see how amazing Daniel was, right? So this is used all throughout, especially the Old Testament, and we're going to do that today. Mary was amazing. Jonah wasn't. All right, so using this, we're going to see that, that the reality is, is it looks like Mary was going to pay a very high price, but in the long run, there's an easy way or there's a hard way, but listen, whoever you are, God's purposes will be established. Easy way, hard way, it doesn't matter. His purposes will be established. So, let's look at Jonah with me. You're in the, and the easy way to find the minor prophets, just turn to the left from the Gospels, and you've got 12 books that most of you don't know anything about. Um, and um, the, uh, it's the fifth of those little ones. If you get to Ezekiel and Daniel, which you remember, turn back to the right. Uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Okay, Oh, you want to know my trick for how I know the minor prophets? I memorized them. Um, really hard. Twelve words, and it, people think, "Wow, you must be a scholar. You know twelve words." Um, so, uh, look at this. Jonah, chapter one, verse one. Ready? The Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, "Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up. Their wickedness has come up before me." But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We're gonna look at a whole series of precepts now, but you know I can pull this off even though there's 11, right? I never went to seminary, so they never said you can only have three. Here you go. Number one, precept number one, my way takes me away from the presence of the Lord. Any testimonies? <laughs> My way, look, at, look again at verse three. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence that actually is the face of the Lord. This may be the single most bizarre attribute of us human beings, right? Right? It shows how high a price we're willing to pay to retain the right to control our own lives. Think about this, we're so intent on having our way, we're even willing to sacrifice the very presence of God for it. You know what we got? We got a bite of fruit. You know what we lost? Eternity in a perfect world. We are so stupid. Oops, I'm not supposed to use that word now, am I? Uh, I'm so stupid. Uh, precept number two. Precept number two. Here you go. As soon as we turn away, right? As soon as we turn away from the presence of the Lord, he comes after us. And this is the painful part. He turns up the heat. Ready? Verse three. Look at this, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, so he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now watch what happens immediately as soon as he's out of the presence of the Lord, running the opposite direction. Verse four, and the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so the ship was about to break up. To which I would say, and this shows how bizarrely I read, I love the prophets. You know what I say? Isn't God good? You know what? Isn't God good? No storm? He leaves God for maybe a little bit of safety? Oh my. I suspect their testimonies again. Look at this. Every person on that ship thought this was a calamity. But in fact, this horrendous storm was actually God's grace. God cares so much for us that he doesn't even let one moment go by before he starts pursuing us, and I would say the word would be aggressively, right? Trying to get our attention, trying to wake us up. We look at the storms of life, how many times have I done it, and you might have too? How many times do I look at the storms of life and I say, where was God? but in fact, often, the storm was actually God saving me from myself. It got my attention. I had to stop and ask questions. All wasn't well. It made me pause. Precept number three. So, almost done with one sermon, right? Number three. Uh, Taking my way, ready, isn't just costly to me. It's also costly to others. Our lead pastor does an incredible job of cyclically pointing the reality how the scripture always teaches this. Look at verse five. The sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. You ready for this? Who's paying the price for Jonah's disobedience? Others. It wasn't Jonah's cargo they were throwing overboard. It wasn't Jonah's ship that was breaking up. It wasn't Jonah who would have to pay for fixing the ship when they put in to harbor, right? It's amazing, isn't it? Others were paying the price for Jonah's sin. So how does this apply to us? You ready? Listen, (laughs) we may be on the list. Our family pays, our spouse pays, our children pay, our parents pay, our boss pays, our colleagues pay, our friends pay, lost people pay, the church pays, the kingdom pays. Listen, church, there is no such thing as inexpensive sin. There's no such thing. When I disobey God, others write the check. Precept number four, going my way, makes me really foolish watch this verse 5 again then the sailors became afraid every man cried out to his God and they threw somebody else's cargo <laughs> now that you we paid attention right which was on the ship to lighten it for them but Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship lain down and fallen sound asleep this should make us laugh Right? How in the world could Jonah be sound asleep when the ship was going down? Look how foolish a person becomes when we're running from God. Everyone on board is about to drown (laughs) and Jonah's getting his beauty sleep. Imagine it. Going our way blinds us to reality. Now we may be very comfortable, right? We might even be sleeping like a baby. Life's great, I'm doing just fine, but we're oblivious to our peril. Look at this, (laughs) Jonah's about to die and he's sleeping. Amazing, you ready? All the non-believers know exactly what's happening. It's the follower of God who's completely clueless about God's ways. Let me ask you a question. Is there any part of your life where you're going your way rather than God's? And if the answer is yes, let me ask you another question and listen to this question carefully. Are you actually foolish enough to believe that your path will end well? You don't think you're going to end up in the sea? It's amazing. Key concept, here it is, write your blanks in. If you're walking outside God's will for your life and it doesn't terrify you, listen If you're walking outside of God's will for your life and it doesn't terrify you, then you're in big trouble because you're clueless to the fact that, listen, your ship is going to go down. You're unconscious, you're sleeping, but you are on a collision course with reality. No one gets outside of God's purposes. So what does Jonah teach us? if you 're running from the king, wake up you 're headed for disaster number five when god 's people take our way, we become even more foolish than unbelievers we 've already seen a hint of this, but watch this: <clears throat> verse six, do I really have to stay on the x i 'm um, like a caged cat over there uh, verse uh, verse six so So the captain approached him and said, "How is it that you are sleeping?" <laughs> mystery, right, get up, call on your God, perhaps your God will be concerned about us so we won't perish. And each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so that we can learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country, from what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord God, by the way that word is Yahweh, the name, the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land, verse 10. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? Bunch of unbelievers. How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do with you that the sea may become calm for us for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. You ready for this? Notice the insight of the pagan sailors. They know that Josiah, excuse me, sorry, Josiah. They know that Jonah's, by the way, Josiah was the greatest king in all 39 of the kings, so uh, he would have gotten this right, okay? Notice, The pagan sailors are the ones that know that the answer is Jonah's God. Let that sink in, right? I mean, this is, so you ready for the huge paradox? Here's your blanks. The unbelieving sailors realize that the very God whom Jonah is running from is their only hope. (laughs) Think about it, the believer has become a fool And the unbelievers have become wise. Listen, church, when we live in the world in hypocrisy. Let me tell you, you know who knows how Christians should live, what we should be like, that you should always be able to count on their word, that they will never rip you off, that they will be self-sacrificing? You know who knows that's what Christians should look like? Non-Christians. You wanna know how we should live? Ask somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And right here, we see that incredible biblical precept amazing, people who knew nothing about Yahweh, saying, oh Yahweh, please help us and help him. Ready? Precept six, the reason God makes my way so hard is to bring me to the end of myself, and I hate this. I didn't want this precept, I almost went with 10 because I hate it so much. Look at this, verse 11. And he said to them, Jonah, pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me, listen, I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Wow. This confession was the turning point in Jonah's life. You may be a victim, but at our base, we're not victims. We've made choices. See here, we see this incredible turning point. When, we, when he took responsibility for the consequences of running from God, and when he stopped making everyone else pay for his disobedience, when he was finally ready to lay down his life, then he was in a position to receive God's great plan for his life. When a person lives outside of God's will, Nothing truly great, not in kingdom sense, will happen in their life until they come clean with God and admit their foolishness and fess up to their rebellion and come to the end of themselves. But when they do, great news, everything changes. When we come to the end of ourselves and finally say, Lord, it's me standing in the need of prayer, it's not them, it's not her, it's not him, it's not all them, it's not, it's not the other side, it's not my enemy, it's me. What's amazing is, is that turns calamity into opportunity and self-destruction into great purpose. Number seven, the idea that taking my way is safe <laughs> is an illusion. Verse 13, now remember Jonah's on his way Verse 13, however, the men rowed desperately, they didn't want to throw him over, to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they said to the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us. You ready? These guys are about to die, and they're concerned about murdering someone. You know what that is? The prevenient grace of God already starting to change their hearts. They're more worried about Jonah than they are about themselves. Is there something wrong with that picture? Look at this, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Think about this. It appears that the main reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because the Assyrians were his enemies, and he was afraid of them. So, Jonah, everybody got this? Jonah took the safe way and almost drowned. And isn't this the way we are? When we th- think God's way is, is either inconvenient or unfulfilling or uncomfortable or unsatisfying or it's just too hard to go God's way. Uh, so, we, what do we do? We plan a better way for ourselves. And then what happens? God has to pull off a giant fish miracle to keep us from killing ourselves. When will I learn? God will take me through paths of difficulty. He will take me through paths of pain and discomfort. He may even take me through paths of danger. But when he does, his protection and his presence will go with me. And even if I die, he's got me covered. In fact, Paul called death an upgrade. Lousy Corinthians here get to be with Jesus there, no brainer, okay? So, when I choose my own path, if it weren't for God's amazing grace, my way would get me toasted off every time. Number eight, going my way takes me to places that are far worse than the place I was running from. You talk about ironic, ready, verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord greatly. I think that's probably an understatement. And they, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made their vows. And the Lord appointed, I love that word, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Stop for a minute. When Jonah found himself inside a giant fish, with rotten sardines and seaweed floating around him, you think Nineveh actually looked pretty good? You could probably buy food there—food other than what he was surrounded by, right? Um, th- this is why is it that we are convinced that our plans will take us to better places than God's plans? God had a great plan for Jonah. He was giving him the privilege of going to Nineveh to save thousands thousands of lost people. What a privilege. But compare that to Jonah's plan. Jonah's plan was to spend three days in the gastrointestinal contents of a whale. Great plan, Jonah. And then there was the getting vomited up on the beach thing, right? Now there's a really fun experience. I wonder if Disney could redo that for us somehow. Um, So the story of Jonah running from God leads us to here it is, a universal truth. Not only are God's ways always right, listen church, they're always best. They're not just right. They're best for me. They're best for you. All of my ways are always way worse than his way, no matter how hard his way looks to be. So, number nine. God's discipline brings wisdom, another one I really enjoy. <laughs> Don't you love being wise through the pain? God's discipline, is, uh, God's discipline brings wisdom. Look at verse chapter two, verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, another understatement. <laughs> Jonah prayed to the Lord from the stomach of the fish. Uh, by the way, who, you know, you've, for those who understood the foxhole from the old days of, you know, you know being in a foxhole in war, there, there's this common saying, that there's never an atheist in a foxhole. Well, trust me, I suspect there's never an atheist inside a whale's stomach. Okay, so th- here's what happens. And he said, I called out in the dis- my distress to the Lord, and he answered me, I cried out from the depth of Sheol, you ready, the place of the dead. He's a dead man. I cried out from the place of the dead and you heard my voice. Isn't it amazing how insightful Jonah got in the stomach of a big fish? God uses times like this in our lives too. If you are going through a tough time right now, maybe it really is somebody else doing something evil to you. But God is still asking How can you learn to trust me in this time? How can you learn to trust me in this time? See, when we get thrown overboard and swallowed up, we have two choices. Either we can blame God for the result often of our own bad choices, certainly in Jonah's case, or we can get smart, get on our knees, repent of our sin, and thank the Savior that he's so merciful and didn't actually let us go to Tarshish. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond to the Lord's discipline? Have you surrounded yourself with accountability partners who don't hold you accountable? By the way, that's not an accountability partner. You know what that fits perfectly into? It's the Hebrew, the rabbinical teachers loved saying this. Here's the scoop, Israel. We're saved together or we can be lost together. But that's what happens. We're saved together, me and my house. How many times is that in the scripture? As for me and my house, we're saved together and we're lost together. If you haven't surrounded yourself with friends who say, what in the world are you looking at on your device? If we've surrounded ourselves with people who are looking at the same stuff, then you're lost together, friend. That's what happens. Okay, precept number 10, even if you've run far, Listen, great news. Even if you've run far from God, if you'll join him, he can still use you to help him save his world, right? So Jonah has this amazing change of heart where he says, my sin has created your pain. It's my fault. Even though I'm a follower of the Most High God, it's my fault, And when he had that change of heart and went to Nineveh, we'll read the transition verses in a moment, but I'd like us to look at the incredible result of when Jonah said yes to God. In fact, this isn't in your notes, but you have to, I mean, how can you not have this verse in a Jonah message, right? Then the Lord commanded the fish. I love this. The Lord has control of everybody's vagal system, by the way which is what makes you vomit. Um, The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. And and I, (laughs) I I just have to point out, you know you're in a bad place when getting vomited up on a beach is a trade up, right? But there's Jonah, it's his deliverance is going through that esophagus of that stinking fish. Okay, so look at this. Verse 4 in chapter 3. This is incredible. Then Jonah began to go through the city, one day's walk, and he cried out and he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word reached the king of Nineveh. He rose from the throne, sat in his robe uh, from his excuse me, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. And he issued a proclamation and said, you ready for this pagan king? In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, flock, or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, provenient grace, God coming before the king is even saved yet. Who knows? God may relent, turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. Verse 10, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared, which he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Do not miss something. It wasn't their deeds that saved them. It was the recognition of their desperate need in the midst of seeing their sin and saying, I'll do my part, but God, we need you. This is a remarkable, remarkable story. So the results of obedience, my friends, is stunning. It's way underrated in the church. You know, if you think, well, you know, is obedience the way like I keep saved? No, you can no more keep yourself saved by obeying than you can get yourself saved by obeying. It's all of grace. Salvation is all of grace. He who began a great work in us will be faithful to complete it. So when it's completed and we stand complete, we're going to say, don't look at me, Father. Look at Jesus. He did it all. Right? So, but this is just as an amazing time for us to comprehend that the result of obedience is stunning. When Jonah finally obeyed, God used him to save thousands of souls. Do you know that one of us in this room, five of us in this room, could be called potentially to save thousands of souls? But we don't know who in advance. Let me ask you are you obeying? Are you just being who Jesus wants you to be through the power of the Holy Spirit? He may do things you can't imagine. Precept 11, the book of Jonah only needed to be, you ready for this, the book of Jonah only needed to be one chapter long. Now pay attention, okay, you ready? Pay attention, verse one, chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Rise, go to Nineveh, the great city, verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, look what happened after Jonah chose to obey. This is one of those parts of Scripture that's a perfect parallel and yet absolutely contrasting. Right? The parallel is perfect. The words are all the same, except a couple of words which make everything 180 degrees different. Look at verse uh, chapter 3. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. It's really, really striking. What is it with us, right? Why do we have to do the ship thing and the storm thing and the near-drowning thing before we just go God's way? Why is it that we need so many chapters in our book? You ready? Here they are. Dan's chapter on doing my own thing. Dan's chapter on running from God. Dan's chapter on getting thrown overboard. Testimonies. Dan's chapter of ruining his life. Why do we have all these painful chapters. Why don't we just recognize how much easier it would be, you ready for this, to have just one chapter? Pastor Josiah, come on up. I want us to stop and think about the book of Jonah this way. You ready? Here's the, here's the blanks. It's a bizarre twist in the text. What Jonah chapter three says should be what Jonah chapter one says. (laughs) Ready, look at chapter three again. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. There shouldn't have to be that second time there. This should just be chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Verse three, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Jonah, what a great story. So, we just read chapter three and we know it's exactly the same as chapter one with a couple of things that are different, all surrounding obedience. The entire book of Jonah should be this. You ready? Here's the message of the book of Jonah. Now, I have to tell you almost every time I just think this way. I'm not rewriting scripture, okay? This is just what the book of Jonah should say. You ready? God spoke, Jonah obeyed, Jonah preached, Nineveh repented, and God saved all the people in the capital of the Assyrian empire, the book of Jonah. But instead, we've seen the incredible painful story of Jonah's disobedience. Now fortunately, God didn't toss Jonah out of his plan. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It doesn't matter how far, it was one of the precepts, how far we've run from God, it doesn't matter how far. He can save an entire empire through us by his power. It's a mystery. But God didn't toss him out just because he was a slow learner and a rebel. But here is, here are your blanks. What Jonah's life teaches us, God can ultimately use four-chapter followers, right? It's four long, and if you read four, you realize that if he would have just done the one-chapter thing, verse chapter four would be taken care of too, God can ultimately use four-chapter followers, but what this lost world really needs, folks, church, listen, is one-chapter followers. Listen once again to what the world needs. It needs people, just like Mary, who say, Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. That's what a lost world needs, church. So here's the summary. This morning's message is calling us to make a commitment that by God's grace, only by God's grace, starting now, we're gonna do it his way. I want you to start thinking. Let the Holy Spirit be picking out specific things. By the way, if what you're hearing now is, oh, I'm just horrible and I'm a horrible person, and I'm a horrible person, and I'm just too bad, and God can't do me. That is not that is not the Holy Spirit. That is the enemy. The enemy comes to me and says, Dan, you're a bad husband. The Holy Spirit comes and says, Dan, the way you just talked to Dana is wrong and you should ask forgiveness. So right now, let him start pointing out very specific things in your life. And the reality is, is as he's doing that, it is the hope of the world that God's people hear from the Spirit and are transformed. It's the only hope of the world. It's a great mystery. But here's what we are gonna do. We're gonna write our own book and if you haven't been taking notes, take them now, okay? It's the last part and I've entitled this this fresh new thing out on the presses, I've entitled it, My Book and it's gonna be your book. You ready for this? Write in, My Book, chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord came to, fill your name in. The word of the Lord came to Dan saying, ready? Chapter 1, verse 2. Arise, go where I tell you to go. In other words, the Lord is saying in verse 2 don't go your way, don't go the long way around, don't go the painful way, don't do the self destructive way, but choose my way and my plan and my purpose and be amazed at what I'm going to do through your life. Verse 2. You ready for verse 3? <laughs> So Dan, fill in your name. Please don't fill Dan in. <laughs> I can only take care of myself. So Dan arose and went where God said to go. Let me ask you, if there was a 70th book in the Bible and it had your name on it, would it be those three verses? If God has a one chapter book, he can change The whole world. So I'm going to close with some questions. Will you choose to be a four-chapter follower or a one-chapter follower? Are you doing it the hard way, the painful way, the long way? (laughs) Are you willing to give your life so fully to the Lord that you simply say with Mary, Lord, let it be done to me according to your word? During this Advent season, you can be sure of one thing, the king has come, and he will be king. He'll be king whether we bow to him or not, whether we recognize his sovereignty or not, and whether we obey him or not. The only question is, will earth receive her king? Will I receive him? Will you receive him? That's the only question. Don't be deceived. Jesus will reign and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It will happen. He will reign. So, as we close, if you're physically able here in the room and at home, if you've got a place, you, you probably are more comfortable at home. I'd like you just to turn around and kneel right in your place. Right now, we're not doing altars. So if you can, and if you know, you're not gonna choke yourself to death on your mask, uh, I'd like you to, to just kneel where you are. And now listen carefully. I'd like you to ask yourself, will you have a one chapter book? Like Mary, will you surrender everything no matter what the cost, in your life, in all of your plans, in whatever struggles you have, in all of your decisions, will you simply say, Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. Right now, as Advent begins, let's do serious business with God. Sing, Pastor Josiah.